Horror and true crime. Uplifting family-oriented tales worthy of Disney. And journalism digging up dirt on the rich and famous. Such stories are not just pitch-perfect for podcasting. Once they become hits, the shows are fit and ready to make the journey to film and TV when Hollywood calls. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. The digital gold rush has many podcasters giddy with dreams of making it big in Hollywood. But as book authors have discovered over a century of adaptations, the appetite for content in La La Land is voracious, leading to business terms that require absolute control of intellectual property. For the Rights Tech Summit in September, I moderated a panel discussion laying out what creators, performers, and rights owners should know when it comes to developing content for audiobooks and podcasts. Joining me were Alexia Badat of New York City-based Claris Law, Sumaira Shah, Senior Corporate Counsel for Audible, a wholly owned subsidiary of Amazon, and Michelle Cobb, who is Executive Director of the U.S.-based Audio Publishers Association, as well as Executive Director of the Podcast Academy. Michelle, I'd like to open the discussion by asking you to help us understand a little bit about the, the real differences between podcasts and audiobooks. For the listener, for the audience, they have begun to merge. I think it's a it's a great listening experience, whatever you call it. But for the creators and the producers, there are important differences. Tell us about that. As you say, the listener, if they're given to audio files, one of which is technically an audiobook and one of which is technically a podcast, they probably couldn't tell you what the difference is. The difference we find is in the business models. Most podcasts are ad-supported model, and most audiobooks are purchased in a, you know, a single purchase model, whether it be a credit subscription or an a la carte subscription, with some uh, unlimited subscriptions coming into the market now. And, and um, that makes a big difference, of course, in how these are produced. But what's also important to, I think, sort out for the audience today at Rights Tech Summit is about the rights uh, that carry through in all of this. There are audiobook rights. There's podcasting rights. Can you help us understand better the, the fine lines between those? Well, audiobook rights, generally, if it's coming from a book, that is considered a subright of the original print right. So you're buying the right from an author, from an agent, from the print publisher, and you have the right generally to do either an unabridged production, a recording of the whole thing, or to do a dramatization of the title where you change the text and kind of rewrite it for the audio format. What's new in the world is that we're seeing a lot of what we would call, you know, a new uh, only on audio or an audio original it was developed only for the audiobook format. And it's sold within that audiobook universe. And the rights for that, because they're not coming from an original print book, are, you know, it's a totally different type of contract. That's very different than when someone is developing a podcast and maybe selling off subrights of that. You see books developed out of podcasts. You see television shows developed out of podcasts. You see movies developed out of podcasts. And it's a totally different way of approaching what is essentially the same type of product. So I, I would imagine that because copyright is is that infinitely divisible 
uh, kind of intellectual property, the way we can slice it in those different ways you've just been describing, th- there's potential for confusion, even problems that can arise. It could be um, competing companies who are e- put, p- trying to put out products that are very similar or, or appear to be the same. Yes. I mean, when audiobooks first started out, you would have the abridgment and the unabridgment. So it's two companies maybe doing a you know, different narrator, different iteration of that. That seems simplistic compared to what we have today, where you're going to get the unabridged rights, the dramatization rights, you might have a public performance rights, you might have the right to serialize it as a podcast, everything gets sliced and diced. So you have to be very, very careful and mindful of what rights you are acquiring and what rights, you know, if you are the IP holder, you are allowing people to acquire. Right. And and, and uh, that all sounds very exciting, but there's a downside to this, which is that rights get acquired, but then nothing happens. And, and that's a, a real problem for creators, right? It's certainly something that we've seen in audiobooks where, you know, a big publisher might acquire all of the rights to that book, print, audio, all of this, and then they themselves do not either produce the audiobook, nor are they able to sell the audiobook rights off. So I'm seeing more and more authors going back to the publisher and saying, this hasn't been produced as an audiobook. I would like those rights back. And once they get those rights back, they can produce it themselves. They can work with the producer. They can sell it to someone. It just gives them a little bit more flexibility. And the real goal is to ensure that that intellectual property is expanded and exposed to all the different formats available and audio books being, you know, one of the strong ones and growing. Well, Michelle Cobb, executive director of uh, the Audio Publishers Association, as well as the Podcast Academy. Thank you very much indeed. And and I want to turn now to Samira Shah. Samira, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Samira, we'll just remind people you are the senior corporate counsel for Audible, and that puts you in a really interesting position here on this panel. Um, tell us about how Audible has become not only just the place to go for audiobooks, but uh, the, the, it's a real destination for original stories, too. Audible is uh, the home of storytelling, um, and we have a very diverse and wide offering um, of audio storytelling um, in our in our service, it's available to our listeners, and um, that consists, as you mentioned, not only of audiobooks but um, many different forms of audio original content, and um, that's across a wide variety of um, different genres and formats: so scripted, unscripted, true crime, drama, comedy, um, investigative, um, journalist, you know, work, and um, including theater. Uh, content. We have uh, a theater initiative at Audible. We operate a, a West uh, a theater in the West Village called the Minetta Lane Theater, where we produce uh, live stage plays and record them simultaneously um, for you know for them to make them available um, on our service. And um, in line with our our mission of of really making um, audio and audio as a mechanism to make content available just more broadly um, to a wide variety of listeners. Um, you know, we've, we've invested heavily in the theater community to really be able to work with emerging and established playwrights um, to make uh, plays and that kind of content available on our service, in addition to some of the, the live stage plays that we do in the theater. Um, then we have words and music content, which blend, um, you know, musical uh, performances by musicians with um, memoir style um, stories that they've 
kind of woven together in, in narratives that they've created, um, which are, you know, on the shorter side. Um, but really, the bottom line is we just have um, something for everyone, I'd, I'd say. There's just a, um, a big mix of, of what's available. And um, we're constantly also pushing ourselves to, to innovate and, you know, think about what we can do differently to um, push forward the medium of audio storytelling and kind of create in, in new formats um, and, and give uh, creators a space to do that as well. Right. And indeed, uh, one of the more recent uh, high profile production deals that you signed was with the Academy Award winning Emmy Award winning production house called Higher Ground, which just happens to be the company founded by Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. Um, they've obviously done very well with audiobooks and with podcasts, too. What does it mean to really have someone of the stature of for a president involved in this business? Well, um, we're honored to be in business with the Obamas and Higher Ground. Um, that deal that you mentioned, it's an exclusive uh, first look deal that we recently entered into and announced. And uh, we're really excited to support Higher Ground's mission of uplifting up and coming voices and really creating um, the kind of ability for them to tell stories and audio um, that reflect a, a diverse um, you know, mix of people, backgrounds, cultures, and um, experiences very much in line with, um, I think, maybe what people would expect from the Obamas. We've really worked hard to establish Audible as being um, friendly to the creative community and, um, you know, really creator-friendly um, in, in all that we do, starting from the stage of deal-making and really looking at what we could potentially do in a deal and how to craft that um, to meet you know, kind of the needs that we're hearing from the creator that we might be entering into to business with, um, all the way through development and production, and then ultimately how we distribute and market um, the, the the stories that are on our service. Right. And, and as far as who gets in the door here, it's not just the A-listers, because Audible has a as a piece of the platform, the, the ACX uh, program, which is for uh, self-published authors to begin to participate. And that's been a source of uh, emerging stars as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we operate uh, a service that you mentioned. It's a marketplace called ACX. Um, it stands for Audiobook Creation Exchange. Um, and really what it is, is uh, a tool for, and a community for, um, for authors, um, agents, narrators as well, um, to be able to, to self-publish on, on the author side and narrators to be able to, um, to find work as, as voice performers and build their reels and, um, and also agents to be able to scout for talent. Um, we, you know, we're actually able to partner with Neil Gaiman, um, who has, is really excited about ACX and, um, has kind of created his own, um, banner, um, I should, I should say under ACX where he's looking, he himself is looking for, um, you know, creative talent there. And um, it's such a prolific community. And yes, we do pay attention very closely to what's happening there and have invested significantly in, um, you know, improving that community um, in the same way that we do, you know, across the board with all of the creators that we work with, providing tools um, that can really help grow um, the creators and the stories that they're telling there. Well, well, let's talk about the deals and 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 what they look like. And I suppose the thing to say is that there really isn't any single deal. But uh, you're working with creators, individual creators, with producers, with production houses. You've got exclusive deals and and so forth and so on. Um, are there particular models uh, that uh, people favor over others? Um, and 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 tell us about uh, the distribution side of things and how Audible looks at that. Sure. Um, so, you know, one thing that I think is really uh, interesting that Michelle alluded to is, um, you know, the audio industry is, um, there's no kind of 
consistent line that connects the audio industry together in terms of how all of the, the companies in the space do business. I think we all have very different business models. And at Audible, um, because of our creator first um, focus and um, also one of our, our, our principles, um, which we, you know, we, we hold very dearly called uh, customer obsession, um, we really try to tailor our deals in a way that um, makes the most sense for the creator that we're working with and um, and the, the story itself. Um, so there really is no one approach. We've entered into um, deals with authors and uh, creators for one-off productions. We've entered into multi-project exclusive overall development deals. So Myra Shah, Senior Corporate Counsel with Audible, thank you very much. And, and I want to turn finally for our panel discussion to Alexia Badat. She's a partner with New York City-based Claris Law. Alexia, welcome and uh, good to see you. But Alexia Badat, you, know, um, you are working with producers of, of, of content uh, uh, for uh, podcasts only, but uh, sort of with an eye towards the film and TV industry. And, and you've written recently about just the, the really uh, interesting place that the podcast industry is in right now. It, it has an opportunity to not turn into the film and TV industry where everyone tells you how it's done. To that point, I mean, what you just heard Sumaira say, right, that we look at deals differently depending on, you know, what the creator's goals are and what makes sense and the IP there. That is something you're very unlikely to hear somebody from a more film and TV traditional platform say. And that's not because the film and TV traditional platforms are bad. It's just they have grown from decades and decades of Hollywood precedent. And I use Hollywood to mean, you know, the film and TV industry generally where things are done a certain way. And it's very, very rare to see a creator, be it a director, an actor, a producer, somebody even who wrote the story that the film is based on, retain any rights, uh, either in the original work or in their performance. And, you know, pivot to the podcast industry where, you know, you have exactly people saying what Tamara just said, where we're trying to make bespoke deals. And that's a very big difference. And it's just, it's a totally different playing field. There are you know, reasons for it. Again, it's not because it's bad actors in the film TV space, but I think one thing that's really interesting and touching on the distribution point that was mentioned is in the film TV space, traditionally, because of the distribution model, from the moment that a piece of content is conceived to when it gets to the audience, there are many, many parties involved in between. You have studios, networks, distributors, platforms. And so for a piece of content to go from one hand to the next, if the original person who's making the deal doesn't hold all the rights, it can be difficult to enter into all of those successive transactions. Whereas in the podcast industry, which has, you know, to date largely been RSS distributed, there's, you know, more podcasts going behind paywalls now where literally the producer can just get to the audience in one click, for lack of a better word, you know, that that rights chain is a little bit easier. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was John Steinbeck or Ernest Hemingway, but but an author of that uh, type back in the 40s said that his relationship with Hollywood was he drove up to the studio threw his novel over the gate and then they threw a suitcase full of money back. And that was the relationship. But what you're describing here is a very different uh, kind of relationship. It's obviously a different medium. And it's interesting to see how things have evolved that way. Um, the people that are coming to you uh, with ideas for podcasts, are they already thinking ahead to um, various other rights for television and film, or are they really focused first on the podcast piece? 
It's definitely a mix of the two. You have some production companies that pride themselves as being audio first, and you have others that very openly their mission statement is to create great narrative stories that can be adapted to film TV. So I don't think there's a, a right or wrong. And a lot of different production companies are, you know, asserting their mission statements differently. But you definitely see a lot of, uh, you know, content creators thinking, what rights do I need to have to be able to enter into a film TV deal? And it gets really interesting, especially when you have a podcast that's based on a book, because at that point, and going to Michelle's point of, you know, what rights do publishers have or not, when you have a podcast that's based on a book, you have on the one hand, potentially the author of the book who still holds the rights to make film TV adaptations of their book, which typically the publisher has not acquired, traditional publishers. And then you have the podcast and potentially the podcast production company also wants to make film TV adaptations of their podcast. And suddenly you have these potentially competing derivative productions that could be made in the market. And so that's a question you have to think about with your client who's making a podcast based on pre-existing IP. Well, you know, do where do the rights to the pre-existing IP sit? Do you have more than just the podcast rights? If you do, what do they still have? And how are you all working together to make sure that sort of everybody benefits from each other's derivatives? Because once the podcast is out, the profile of the book goes up and vice versa. And that's where it gets really interesting. Alexia Bada of the Claris Law Firm. Thank you, Alexia. Thank you. Michelle Cobb, Executive Director of the Audio Publishers Association and the Podcast Academy. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. And Sumaira Shah, our senior, counsel, senior Corporate Counsel for Audible. Thank you as well. Thank you. I want to thank, too, Paul Sweeting, Digital Media Wire, and all the organizers of the Rights Tech Summit for organizing the program today and inviting me to moderate this panel. I'm Christopher Keneally with CCC's Velocity of Content Podcast. Thanks for listening.